Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Hello, welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. Today is the final episode of the season as we review the last two matches of the season and a quite excellent finale in front of our fans at Villa Park as well. I'm Andy and today there's no limited capacity here. We've got a full house and I'm joined by Craig, Mark and Dan. Hello Andy, hello everyone. It's great to have a full house. Um, this is the first time we're all going to be together so we get to we get to chew over the Aston Villa fat and have a good conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mark Jerebi. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. And believe it or not, this is the first time me and Dan actually get to be on a podcast together. I'm really excited about it, even through the stuff I was going through that I couldn't be on the pods, a lot of work stuff. I was just listening, going like, man, Dan actually knows what he's talking about. I can't wait to sit down and talk to him. But So what's going on, Dan? How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Hi, everyone. Daniel Vetridge here. Uh, it's good to be back. It's been a while. I can't wait to, to dispel Mark's myths about me and, and point out that I know nothing about football in the next hour and a bit. <laughs> no, it's great to have you back on, Dan, and I hope, you, hope you're settling well back into, into Britain and uh, <laughs> the wonderful country um, that you left eight years ago. Um but before we review the the, 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 the Villa games, we've got um, some news this afternoon. Gareth Southgate has named his provisional 33-man England squad for the Euros, in which he has named three Aston Villa players. Tyrone Mings, Jack Grealish and Ollie Watkins all got called up um, and will be hoping to, to, to make the cut next week when he names a 26-man squad for the tournament. Guys, your thoughts on these call-ups, and do you see do you see them all making the cut? Uh, well, first of all, I think we we should take a, a second to really appreciate you know what this means for Aston Villa Football Club, what this will mean to prospective transfer targets. Having a look at um, this young English talent in Jack Grealish, Tyler Mings, and Ollie Watkins for Aston Villa to have three England internationals um, being called up to the provisional squad, and for us fans to be disappointed not to have five with Matt Target and Esri Konza missing out just speaks to the transformation that we've had at the club um, in terms of who makes the cut I think Mings is probably the only guaranteed starter I think Grealish might still have something some stuff to do to prove his fitness although he did look much better um, at the weekend and managed to get through 90 minutes uh, against Chelsea and um, Watkins I think he's going to have to he's going to be in a shootout with some of those other strikers and he's going to have to really put the performances in in training to get that seat on the plane yeah, like fun fact for you, there are there are more Villa players in the England provisional squad than Arsenal and Tottenham combined, which I think says everything you need to know about where we're at as a club. I'm, I'm disappointed Conser isn't there, especially as I think he's done better than than the defenders that are possibly taking his place in the squad. But I think Grealish and Mings are nailed on, and and if anyone's going to impress Southgate in training, it's Ollie Watkins. 
Yeah, I'm incredibly happy that Mings and Grealish and Watkins got into the England squad, and now you know to bring just a little bit of a American flavor to the conversation. Um, and I, I don't really, honestly, watch England a whole lot. I just usually see the team sheet, and if if they're on television, and I happen to be off, I'll watch the game. Um, but yeah, there's there's a couple surprises for me. I I, I don't know why everyone's kind of upset about Patrick Bamford not making the cut. I think that Ollie Watkins brings a little bit of a different kind of striker. I think that England has a lot of strikers like Patrick Bamford, and I do recognize that he had a great season in Leeds and as well had a really good season so I understand where the outcry could come from that um, also Fakore Tamora he plays for AC Milan he's online from Chelsea uh, 23 years old they're thinking about buying him on a permanent I thought he had a better season than Kansa although that Kansa did have some some stats like he was, he has the most block shops in Europe than any other center back that's a massive thing and Mr. Ezri Kansa will get his chance eventually I just think that, that for the Euros it may be just a little too soon but yeah I mean yeah just a just a typical American talking about England I mean, who, who would have thought <laughs> no, you're, you're very welcome. It's good to have an outside uh, opinion at, at times with England. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll wait for next week and, and find out then whether these three lads have made made the cut and obviously really hope that they they have their place in the squad um, for the, the upcoming Euros. But on to, back onto Villa matters. Um, last Wednesday, Villa travelled to Tottenham in the final away game of... A quite impressive season on the road, really. Jack Grealish started the match, um, but but Villa started fairly slowly, and and Bergwin made the most of of uh, a Nakamba error before smashing past Martinez into the top corner. Another one for the Aston Villa goals giveaway club, Craig. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, it's uh, marvellous that Camber joined the weekly Aston Villa goal giveaway club uh, <laughs> and he joins with distinction. Um, apparently, I think Smith said after the game that someone shouted time at, at Marvellous, so it wasn't necessarily his fault. Maybe he got a bad call there or a bad shout from a teammate. Um, I'm a bit confused as to why McGinn, who loves the yellow card, didn't clean, clean Bergwijn out or Marvellous, take the yellow card and reset. But um, I think after that, Marvellous recovered really well and he was really outstanding in both games. And he's really established himself now as the best pure uh, DM at the club for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it would be um, the last time that Villa would um, would be behind this season. And it wasn't long before Dean Smith's men started to stamp some authority on the game and started dictating the play in midfield, like McGinn and, and Louise sort of making their mark. And of course, Jack Grealish. And this was rewarded with a, a bizarre own goal by Regulon on, on 20 minutes. Um, the assist came from the Cambrian Regulon just completely misdirected his kick past Lloris um, in the Spurs goal. Whilst, you know, it was definitely a fortunate a fortunate incident, it was no more than, than Villa deserved up to that point. Um, what did you think of this? Yeah, I, I think it was exactly what Villa deserved before this goal. It almost kind of looked like Spurs believed that Villa were just going to let him win the game easily and handedly. Um, but this isn't the Aston Villa of my college days. And even though it was a ghastly own goal by Regulon, I, I thought it was a fair reflection. And it's no disrespect to Spurs. I mean, I, I, I think they're going through a big moment of change, and either for the better or the for worse. But some of the body language on those players, it didn't seem like they really wanted to play to the standard of the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that Villa deserved the, the ghastly own goal. But, man, like, you, you can't hit a golf shot with that kind of spin on it. I don't know how the hell Regulon did that, man. I think the technical term is swaz, isn't it? That Regulon got on that, just not deliberate. As far as own goals go, it was pretty spectacular, but I think it was indicative of of the way Villa had 
Preston harried Tottenham. We we had them rattled, and you know it was good to see us chasing a so-called big team. You you can't see me here, listener, but I'm using air quotes for this. But we were all over them, and I think that that regular known goal happened because we were all over them. And it's fun watching Villa take it to to the top six. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Dan, with the the, the pressing comment. I think Villa were exceptional in the press. Um, I think that um, in Ollie Watkins, you know, Dean Smith has said that that we do have the best pressing centre forward in the league. I think he's probably taken over that mantle from Jamie Vardy, who um, obviously is really, you know, at the towards the end of his career now at this point and doesn't have the same energy he once did. Um, I think Villa were exceptional. Um, I think where we weren't exceptional was in finishing quality and precision, uh, composure. I think that really needs to increase. I think you see the top clubs and the top players will kill you. Villa had not just necessarily good shot opportunities, but good attacking opportunities against Spurs. And we really should have taken advantage of those. Um, Villa are a club who might kill you, but normally don't. I mean, if we look back at the Burnley games, the Sheffield United games, you know, enough enough chances there to put those games to bed. So I think that the next addition that we need is we need an absolute killer in that front four. Um, someone like we saw uh, over the weekend with Bale. Obviously, Bale isn't what he was, but he's still a killer. Give him a sniff in front of goal. There's no mistake. Harry Kane, similar thing. Aguero, similar thing. Um, obviously, we're not going to be shopping in that kind of market at the moment, but maybe we are shopping in the market for someone like a, a level of an Ings or a Defoe. Um, not those players specifically, obviously. You know, the, the, I don't think Ings' is, injury record is any good, and Defoe is obviously about 45. But just someone <laughs> who is an absolute killer in, in the area, I think, is what Villa need. And, um, and um, because we do create such wonderful scenarios with that high press. Yeah, I think I think uh, the, the summer's certainly going to be interesting in that in that respect. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't long really uh, in the first half before before Villa really did capitalise on their on their play and um, on thirty nine minutes it was Mister Ollie Watkins again that man who uh, who capitalised um, some great pressing by Traore who who put Regulon under pressure and he had an absolute nightmare. Um, against Villa in that in that first half, and he he gave the ball away, and um, the ball found its way to Ollie Watkins in the penalty area, who took it really well, nodded it down, and and put it past um, can't really can't finish past Loris in in Spurs in the Spurs goal, probably a bit similar to his Everton goal again, you know, classic classic Watkins really. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It's the kind of goal that's becoming his trademark, and it's fun to say there's a trademark Watkins goal. I think the the best Premier League players have an instantly recognisable style to them, and you see that with Watkins. And further to Craig's point about his pressing, I, I watched him over the last two games, and he's such an intelligent presser of the ball. He's not just running around like a headless chicken, closing people down. He chooses the right times to press, and he triggers the entire rest of the team. And he's got a finish on him, and I, I think that goal was was what he's all about. It's it's unconventional at times. It, it's it's not pretty sometimes, but it's effective, and it's great to watch. I can't wait to see more of it next year round too. Yeah, and speaking about next year, I've I've already gone on record as saying I think that Watkins is going to get twenty goals next year. I think he's hit the post and the bar more than anyone else. Um, he's also got a habit of 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 missing one-on-ones I think we know we've spoken about him underperforming Ollie Watkins that is uh, pronouns Craig um, this about him un- under under Watkins underperforming his XG this season so he should have had more goals that's not 
an outrageous thing to say. It's just true. It's what the stats say. And um, also, it was interesting to see that um, uh, As- Ashley Priest, this, this got some traction uh, in the mirror, in the mirror, in the mail, and on Twitter this week, um, that um, Tammy Abraham is apparently not a target and that Dean Smith wants Ollie Watkins to lead the line next year in the centre because no one can press like him. Mm. It's interesting about Watkins too, and sorry I'm jumping in ahead of Mark here, but it's uh, it, teams haven't found him out yet. Like it, It's not surprising he's going to push defenders, chase everything down, run those beautiful curved runs he does, but other teams just still haven't worked it out, and it's always been the, the case with Jamie Vardy, which Craig made the comparison to earlier. You know what he's going to do, but you can't stop him, and it feels exactly the same with Watkins at the moment. Yeah, I've been watching it just like you have, Dan, with his pressing. I've been really, really impressed with it. I mean, I think in this specific game against Spurs, that it was classic Watkins for the goal, but it kind of was another example of what I was talking about with Spurs just seemed to not be anywhere near the top of their game. I mean, they're having nightmares trying to pass the ball out of the back all game long, and I've seen them this season have success with that, but they're even playing themselves in the traps that Villa set up with their high press, and it wasn't like Villa were doing anything extraordinary or different from what their high press traps actually are. Um, you know, it's a rare thing for me to see a side shoot themselves in the foot like like Spurs did in this game, but again, they have a lot going on. I mean, it's, it's not incredibly surprising. They don't know who their next coach is going to be. Their current interim coach speaks as if he knows he's not going to be a chance given a chance to have the job going forward. Harry Kane looks destined to leave, and I'm sure others will follow. I mean, it sounds like a crazy chemistry problem, Andy, but like I'll clear it up a bit. Spurs are in the mud, and I think that that, that Villa were just so good on, on at the top of the pitch that they had n- absolutely no answer for it at certain phases of this game. Can I, yeah, I think uh, sorry, I think I think sorry, Craig, I think I think you're right that Spurs are in a, in trouble, but then I would I would say that Villa have historically had a habit of um, giving these teams that are in the mud, as you put it, uh, a bit of a leg up and uh, and pulling them out the mud, you know, showering them off and giving them a, a fresh change of clothes um, to walk, yeah, to walk down the street. In. So, um, you know, it was good that we actually took it to them and, you know, the, the booze and the leave you out chants at the end of the game were music to my ears, I have to say. Sorry, Craig, go on. Yeah, I, 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 I would echo all of that. I just wanted to make a point about the uh, the Spurs team and I wanted to make a point about the England team because um, Eric Dyer was so bad that I was surprised how bad he's become. I'm, I'm sure he didn't used to be this bad, but I'm actually glad that, that Gareth Southgate took him out of the England reckoning. But um, goodness me, he helped us out a lot because he is not a centre-back. I don't know what he is, but he's not a centre-back in a month of Sundays. Nominative determinism, uh, too many ends in there, but it's at work. You get the joke. Yeah. It's a joke about him being dire and being called dire. <laughs> the, I had the a jokes. feeling when I woke up this morning that Craig was going to talk about Eric Dyer before we were done with this spot. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just had a feeling. I was like, you know what? Eric Dyer is going to come up when we're talking about the England selection. Yeah. I know it. I know it. <laughs> he's used, Yeah, he's terrible. And um, yeah, uh, Dan, the joke was, was better before you explained it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Villa were, were largely untroubled for the remainder of the game. Um, there were a few flurries from Spurs, um, but the Villa back four with with um, Concer on the on the on the right of the back four, which um, Craig called last week, um, and I disputed. I completely shot you, down in flames. T- tell everyone the truth, happened. Andy. You, you thought I was drunk. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I did. I did think uh, the rum had um, had been out in the in the storage household. Um, <laughs> But uh, 
yeah, I mean the Campbell was great as well in front of that that back four screening screening them them really well and 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 we kind of, kind of kept up uh, Spurs at arm's length really. And in truth, as as Craig sort of alluded to before, it was Villa that looked more likely to score, very dangerous on the counter attack, and just a bit too hesitant hesitant perhaps um, when they got into into good areas in the penalty area. And the, the big moments in the second half really came with the, the introductions of Carney Chukwameka and Jaden Filonji Bidais, who came on and, and made their Premier League debuts. Um I mean guys, how, how exciting was this um to see these two in the first team and, and do you think they'll be in and around the, the squad come next season? I'm a little torn between head and heart on what to do with these two specific Aston Villa youngsters. Um, it's definitely an exciting time, don't get me wrong. I mean, the youth set up, we'll, we'll t- touch on that a little bit later with the FA Youth Cup. Um, I do think that Chukwemeka will stick around, ultimately meaning Jorge Haynes probably off after his loan concludes. Uh, for Phil G. Bades, I think he's going to get a loan move away from the club unless Dino believes he's versatile enough to bring cover to the wings. I personally think he has that versatility and the special something you look for in a young player, but they might want to see how he just fares playing men's football for a prolonged period period of time but with Carney man he, he's just magic in human form the way he can dance and dribble around defenders he creates space he draws players towards him those qualities don't spring up every day and to be honest Villa don't have a midfielder like that right now at least in my opinion um, other than Jackie Grealish I mean like the center center of the pitch but again Villa have you know an, enough midfielders and the coaching staff's looking to give them big minutes so if if these players are going to get big minutes someone's going to miss out at some point in time I don't know just just my opinion about it, just how I'm feeling about it yeah, I, I'll be honest, I've not watched much of the youth team this season, so whilst I've seen the buzz around these guys, I've not seen them in the flesh or, or even on TV, uh, it was great to see them, and they didn't look out of place, which is always the, the eye test you look for. As to what happens to them next year, I think, and we'll come on to the FA kind of Youth Cup win later, but it's a real test for the development side of, of Villa organisation right now, It's to find the best route for these guys to, to make the most of their career. Whether that's with the first team or on loan somewhere else, I'm just excited to watch it happen because winning games and having youth prospects come through at the same time, it's it's the dream at this time of the season. Yeah, I think one of the most impressive things about these two young men was um, how cool they were. They were both as cool as cucumbers. They both were able to keep the ball. I think neither of them gave it away. They they looked cool and composed, and that's a high-pressure environment. You know, massive stadium, Harry Kane's on the pitch, Gareth Bale's on the pitch, you know, players that they've grown up playing... Um, you know, FIFA, you know, you, you, with using, you know, these players are big, big stars and um, they were both cool. I think Chukwemenko obviously is the one that is on the tip of everyone's tongue. He really does look to be the real deal. Um, Philogene Bedes, I was quite taken aback and uh, I, I know I'm not the only one with how small he was. Um, but at that kind of age, you know, you can always have a, a growth spur and, um, and, and Chukwemenko, I think, also probably needs to fill out a little bit. But I always remember being at school and... Um, when you go away for the six weeks holiday or, or school or college and you'd come back and someone who was like five foot five, you'd come back and they were six foot two with a beard. So <laughs> and, and it always happened every summer. It was never me. Um, but um, uh, um, 
I think I stopped growing at 13, but that's a different story. So, um, <laughs> the, um, but the point is that, that, that their physical development as well as their emotional, their mental development is happening. It's ongoing now. So we have to be very careful with these talents. And um, I think we need to look very carefully about what they need and, and where they need to go. Um, the rumor is that Chokomenka is going to be kept around the squad next season and, and Philogene de Bidace might be as well. Um, and, I trust Aston Villa for the first time in a long time. I trust the structures in place at the club to look after these players properly and make the correct decisions, which didn't happen for the previous generation, the Callum O'Hares, the, um, the Andre Greens, etc. So, But I, I, I'm confident this time Villa will get it right. Yeah, that's the trust is a good word. Sorry, Andy. Like it's, I was thinking this earlier. Andre Green and Callum O'Hare, we were all so excited about this time a couple of years ago, and and neither have have gone on to do much of much for us. And I think that's not not necessarily their talent that's to blame. It's the the structure of the club has been wrong for a long time. And I think this summer will be a real test for the club, not in terms of recruitment, but in terms of the outgoings and, and where we give players a chance to develop on loan and where we give them match minutes. Because, um, yeah, we've clearly got a bunch load of talent there and it would be criminal if we didn't realise it. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing... Um starting to see a few a few whispers coming out aren't we about what might happen to some of these players and and, and we'll like I say we'll, we will get onto the under 18s later but it was lovely to see the these lads getting their chance um over the past week and I so wish um Carney's shot had gone in at Spurs um it would look just look for all the world like it was going in into that corner and um I think uh, Birmingham would have erupted um <laughs> If that had if that had gone in, so um, but I'm sure he'll 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 score um, many goals for for Aston Villa over the next few years, hopefully. But but on to the Chelsea game, final home game of the season, um, and it was played um, finally in front of ten thousand lucky souls who were who were chosen from the ballot um, to, to to go along and, and support the team on the on the final day. Um, first of all, guy, I mean, how did you feel? You know, seeing fans back at Villa Park for this one. I it felt wonderful seeing fans back at Villa Park. I was, you know, it, it was a little bit emotional as we all suspected, even though obviously I wasn't there in in person. Um, I was delighted for the fans that did, did, did get to be there. We've all waited a long, long time for this, and um, it, it was great to see the fans in the in in the stadium. What wasn't so great was the fans booing the taking of the knee. Some of the fans booing the taking of the knee. But what did encourage me was that actually they those boos were drowned out by the overwhelming majority of Villa fans who applauded and cheered and drowned out the uh, the, the people who were booing the taking of the knee. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I'll leave it there because I could go, I could go on a bit of a rant here. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm I'm right there with Craig. I mean, it's going to sound a little corny, especially from an American. Um, but like, I got a little emotional hearing the real crowd noise in Villa Park, and I definitely didn't do the neighbors any favors by singing along with the Villa faithful as loud as I could. And I I I realized there's a delay on the broadcast. I didn't care. I was singing in full voice, and I'll be damned if it didn't feel good to hear those voices again. Um, even Maddie Target after the game even said the sound was way louder than the attendance number, which makes me really, really happy for what the atmosphere is going to be like next season when all the fans are allowed back in the Villa Park and other football stadiums around the country. Um, also, a big shout out to one of my buddies, uh, Gemma, on Twitter. She won a uh, Twitter contest for the Pittsburgh Lions scarf, and it ended up that she was nice enough to take it to the game with her. Um, again, 
again, it's a little corny. It's a little emotional, but in some strange way, it made me feel like something that I had a hand in creating made its way to Villa Park for this kind of occasion. So it just added to the emotional day where I knew so many good people personally that were in attendance. And it meant a lot to me because it meant a lot to them. Um, again, without getting too sappy about it, but I, I do agree with Craig that I, I did enjoy that, that brief moment that the vocal majority stood up and wasn't going to take our players being booed for one action or another, regardless if you, you know, agree with them or not. I think it still shows that Aston Villa are an inclusive club and they do understand why the knee's being taken. Um, but I don't know, Dan, were you singing too, man? Or was I the only one? I, I wasn't singing because no one needs to hear that on terraces or not. But I, it's nice to hear people talk about that emotional connection to a game again. You know, I think uh, like we were all messaging back and forth during the game and Andy pointed out that it turns out having fans at a football game makes it a much more enjoyable experience and that's it and 10,000 sounded like 100,000 and and would have sounded like 200,000 had Andy got a ticket I'm sure but it's uh, we can't have everything we want but I, I, I didn't realise how much I'd missed it until the first misplaced pass went out of play and there was a shock, a sarcastic kind of way from from a bunch of Villa fans and and it's those little moments that punctuate a game that you realised you've missed and I don't know, I like everyone else, frog in my throat, hairs on the back of my neck standing up. It was an emotional experience, and I think it added something to the game too. That I felt like there was a real needle in the game, and we don't really have much beef with Chelsea, but I think the fans created it, and it helped us press better and play better. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was devastated <laughs> not to be there. Um, but you know that that's that's it. I, I, it was it was much better. It was it felt like a better spectacle. It felt like a proper. A proper Premier League game, a proper football match, um, to have supporters there watching. And look, we can go back to the the start of football. You know, footballers generally was 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 invented for the benefit of the participants, not for the the supporters. The supporters came later, but they certainly add to the to the um, yeah the, the 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 match. They add to the the spectacle, but also I think to the the outcome in some way as we've seen um we've seen a, a, a massive swing towards away away wins over the season and you know it's 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 because of fans it's no coincidence it's because there's there's no fans there and that home advantage gets neutralized so look we want it we want it to to return to normal next season and hopefully at the start of next season there'll be at least the same amount of fans if not more um, increasing up to full capacity at some point, so um, I'll be looking forward to that, and I'll be making sure that I get my priority. Having <laughs> 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 missed uh, missed the Chelsea game, but you know it was fantastic, fantastic day, and it, it just looked like everyone had had a had a really good time there. So even with Andy, no booze think, being sold, I think that Dan brought up a really good point about how, like, especially in the game of football even with fake crowd noise, you can't replicate the small moments. Like you can't, you can't like replicate like the oohs and ahs from the crowd. Whenever uh, a player like strikes it over the top of the bar, or even a slide tackle. That was one thing I noticed. There was a really nice slide tackle for Maddie target in this game and the crowd immediately just right behind the team. And it's almost like you saw the shoulders of the Villa players around them kind of perk up a little bit. Like they missed that just as much as we did. But I think it's important to touch on that and to notice that like, that's how big of a part it plays. And I've even seen some people on social media and even like uh, some of the editorials on Sky saying that, you know, it could have been the Villa faithful at Villa Park that really like dragged, you know, Villa across the line to get that result. Well, I'll take you back on, on that point. I'll take you back to a game a few years ago um, when we were in the championship against Birmingham City. 
at home and um, Gabby Bonlahor came on with, I don't know, about 15 minutes to go. And the first thing he did was sprint 15 yards, um, which is which is good going for Gabby, um, to, 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 to take someone out um, on the touchline. And he actually won a throw. And the whole place went absolutely nuts. It was like we'd scored a goal. And and you could tell the it had an effect. It lifted the Villa players, and it probably had a, an effect on the on the Birmingham players because they thought, "My goodness, what's going on here?" And and of course, Gabby then did score the winner in that game. And it, you can't tell me that a really positive home crowd can't have an effect, just as a a negative a negative home crowd can can have a, a negative effect on the team as well, as we saw with, at Spurs last week. So. You know, it's um, it's great. It, it's it's gonna it, next season will feel like a proper season again, hopefully. And I've I've not enjoyed this season, um, really, um, from a from a football watching perspective. Um, but I I really hope next season is 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 an awful lot better. Um, I would give a gold star to the shit support my lord chant. Um, <laughs> to the it was glorious. to the empty seats at the other end of the stadium. That was chant of the that's chant of the year for me. If there's an award for that, <laughs> yeah, that was that, the best. Loved it. No that, Chelsea the, uh, fans bothered. What, yeah. what was the other one? Uh, Super League. You're having a laugh. I got, yes. I, got a good, yeah. I, I got a good kick out of that one too against Chelsea. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although they are in the Champions League final at the weekend, so it was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bit a, a bit hollow but yeah absolutely um but that that's the thing they don't they don't recreate those chants on the um on the fake noise so uh it's it's great and it's nice it's nice and you know it can be quite quite an amusing afternoon being in a football crowd as well which um I'm I'm dying to get back to as soon as possible um but the team was the team was unchanged unchanged from the the Spurs game um and again, Chelsea made a fast start, um, but but were, unlike Spurs, were unable to really sort of put the final touch on some some really good build up play. Um, Villa had a few moments going forward with uh, Troy Oram again going close with kind of similar long range efforts. Um, then a corner routine, which which actually worked, guys. You know, um, it was a it was obviously straight off the training ground, um, a low cross into the box from from Grealish and. Troyore seemed to sort of run around the back of the pack and 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 into the middle and and was able to kind of loop the ball past Mendy. Um, probably a little bit of a miss hit, um, but it found the top corner of the net and um, yeah, a goal from a corner. Yeah, we and, and we've seen Villa try this specific routine a time or two this season, but it it's never really come off, or the ball gets skied away, or there you know there's a smart defender who cuts it off half before it even gets there. But set pieces are obviously important in the game these days, and it's good to see the Villa at least trying different things here and there. I'm not saying it always comes off, or it seems like they're at least trying. I mean, I'd be over the moon if Villa somehow got very talented at set pieces out of the clear blue sky, but it does take hard work sometimes. And even though Traore scuffed the shot, and I found it interesting that the magic of his left foot 
Foot just seems to always find a way to change a game, whether he's dribbling or he's passing across the pitch to the opposite flank or a shot. You know, the the enigmatic winger. I love calling him an enigma because I really, really feel that's what he is. But he always finds a way to contribute offensively more than I feel he's given credit for. Um, I, I think I said it on the pod two weeks ago. I, I'm really excited to see how he plays next season. But for this specific corner, um, it's not going to come off. And now that like Villa, I think have tried it a couple times. I think that I think the teams are going to now be watching for that because we've seen Jackie Grealish kind of score something very similar from this as well yeah we did that uh, tremendous volley at uh, Derby I think there was a similar one earlier this season against uh, in, in, in the Carabao Cup I think uh, Traore to, to, to pick up on the enigma that is Traore you know I think two weeks ago we had a, a podcast where we were praising him then the next week he was diabolical and I think this this Chelsea performance was the best and worst of Traore he was doing dinks and tricks scored a, scored a goal got an assist or won the penalty for the for the for the El Ghazi's 10th goal of the season and um but what he didn't do again as we saw away at Stamford Bridge he didn't take any consideration for tracking Chilwell who seemed to be free at the back post each and every time including when he scored the goal and probably Chilwell should have had another goal maybe Troy was off the pitch at that point um, but in terms of the set pieces um I would encourage you to go back to last week's show. Um, Andy and I had a long, deep dive talk about Harahan and, and dead ball specialist and how we need one to come in in the summer. Um, how's, how's Buendia with set pieces? Is, he, is it any good? <laughs> I don't know, but I would... This is- oh, I, w- I would... Uh, last thing on Traore. I don't think he's a winger. I've said this before. I want to see him in the middle to see what he can do because I think if he's in the middle you're getting the best of him in the areas where he can really hurt the other team. And also you can afford to carry him a little bit defensively because you've got the, the players in the middle who are going to, who are going to cover him. He's not useless defensively. Don't get me wrong. He, he does work hard and he's much better than he was at the beginning of the season. But we saw, you know, with Chilwell having free reign again on that, that left-hand side that, 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 against the top opposition. And we saw it with Luke Shaw as well. We need, we need probably a bit more from Troy defensively. Yeah, on, on the subject of set pieces, I find it such an interesting subject because whilst the rest of football has evolved beyond recognition over recent years, set pieces are still pretty much what they were 50 years ago, 60 years ago. I mean, Big Sam is still making a career out of them, which is all you need to know about what set pieces have done. And it's what I'm seeing with Villa this year is we don't have the biggest team in the world, but we're trying to evolve, we're trying to innovate, we're trying different things. I mean, we've seen the love train that the defenders all bunch up together and run in that, that Southgate got in at the at the World Cup. And and I think that it's an area that Villa can explore to to unlock, you know, incremental games, another three, four points a season from, from well-taken set pieces. Why not? And I'd like to see us try more innovative stuff, whether it's pinging it to Grealish to bang in a volley or or hoping Traore mishits something into the top corner. I, I think I'd like to see us put more work into that area. I mean, I say this as a man who isn't a football coach and why has no one come up with a new corner routine in the last 20 years? It's probably because we've run out of them. But I mean, if Liverpool can hire a throw-in coach, let's hire a, a corner coach for next season. Get Horahan back as the corner coach. Yeah, I, I, I would so just to, to to answer Craig's Craig's point. If if for forty million, if Ben Bendia can't take a corner or a free kick, then um, I think we should yeah, we just got, give we up. We got problems. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll, I'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to Bendia over the next uh, few weeks. Hopefully, um, if something happens on that. But um, second half, we, we we may have we may have expected a bit of a Chelsea onslaught after the break. Um, you know, Villa had other ideas, and on, on fifty-two minutes, 
Villa won a penalty as a, a nice ball from Jack Grealish found Traore and he he went over Jorginho's rather clumsy clumsy challenge um, absolute clear foul nailed on penalty and, and Anwar Al Ghazi as he does stepped up and um, conceded and then scored yet another goal um, and it was a day where these these wide men really showed their worth for the team. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we, we've talked a lot about um, El Ghazi and we've talked a lot about, I mean, me and Dan used to have, back in the old days, we had debates about El Ghazi and Trezeguet, but those have been put to bed now, haven't they, Dan? Um, so <laughs> Someone broke Trezeguet. Otherwise, he'd be on 20 goals right now. He'd have well, been star of the season. We know that Trezeguet is a star in the last 10 games, but uh, not so much <laughs> in the other ones. But um, get well soon, Trez. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just playing. Um, yeah, Anwar. Um, 10 league goals from from a player. I think I saw something that he's he's done that, something like a goal every 161 minutes or something in that neighbourhood. Like, that's an obscene goal record. And we also talked about last week El Ghazi um, um, being, you know, kind of a line dancer when we need, also we need to have, you know, flamenco dancers. Uh, listen to last week's part for that. But El Ghazi to have... 10 goals in the league, 11 in all competitions, is absolutely an incredible, incredible output. Uh, Troyore as well, I think, with seven or eight goals. We're not going to replace those players with better numbers. If we bring in a Brendia or someone to be a part of that front three, don't expect 10 goals from them. So we have to really appreciate what we have because everyone keeps saying we need to improve in wide areas. We need to improve in wide wide areas. And yes, we do to an extent. And we need different options there. I mean, we need probably another ball carrier, another Jack Grealish type if possible. But in terms of the output and where El Ghazi, I'll say it again, it's beyond beyond reproach. I hope he goes into the Holland team. And um, yeah, good for him because he has had a hard, hard battle um, an uphill struggle against Villa fans in some cases. So good for El Ghazi. You'll have to forgive me a moment. I'm imagining El Ghazi as a line dancer, which is a mental image I can't get out of my head at the moment. (laughs) You can imagine him in in cowboy boots, I'm sure, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) But it's... Wide players are consistently inconsistent. But as Craig says, the output from from Amar this season has has been unbelievable, and I think he'll make the Holland squad. and And he has every right to. He's been phenomenal for us. Um, and in a match like this against Chelsea, the two formations, the wide men are always going to play a crucial role. And there were times when they weren't tracking back, but going forwards, we caused them all kinds of problems. He's He's exactly the kind of guy you want as a squad player, I think, El Ghazi. He's not going to start every week. He's not He's not the first name on the team sheet for me. But if other players need a rest, other players are injured, he's, he's a guy I want coming off the bench, coming into the team. And I think he's been a great buy for the money too. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that stuff, guys. That's, that's some some really good insight. I mean, I I think the wide men definitely showed their worth against Chelsea. And, and as much as I was just praising Traore, he was making me very nervous against up against Ben Chilwell. I mean, he was getting a definitive runaround for much of this game. Um, and it's not a knock on Birdie. He's gotten really, really better defensively, especially with you know responsibility since walking through the doors. And I feel he'll get even better with time in that department. You know, he's he's just getting his feet back under him in the Premier League. Even still, I'm really looking for him to be a game changer next season. 
season. Um, as far as Al Ghazi goes, I mean, he's popping up on another penalty goal, 10 on the season. It's just an absolutely beautiful man. I love Anwar Al Ghazi. He's just one of those playoff heroes that, I mean, he can come have dinner at my house anytime he wants. I, I, I'm serious. Like, I really, really like him. And I, I, I'm very curious of what his role actually will be next season. Again, just like Dan said, if he is coming off the bench, if someone does have an injury, if we're switching things up for comp, uh, for uh, cup competitions, I'm totally okay with that. Um, but again, it's not easy playing against Chelsea doing, due to the way that Tuchel likes to line his team up. But I did feel that both wingers did enough to create and, and really like unsettle this Chelsea team because as much as they were having problems defensively, it also turned around like Ben Chilwell's not used to a really, really pacey winger like Bertrand Traore. So when Traore did able to actually run at him and dr- kind of dribble, Chilwell kind of looked like he was a little nervous. Like he did, he was like, well, there's, there's a lot of tricks in this bag. I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to do here. So I, I do think it was a great showing from both the wingers. I'm absolutely over the moon for El Ghazi again, but I mean, no one's going to be able to rattle that off me. I've been banging his praises for the past couple of years now. Just on Troy, all right, guys. I just wanted to. I mean, obviously, like we're not, we're not, we're not here to criticize anyone um, at this point. But does he lack a, a just a turn of pace? There's just just times I feel that he he gets the ball and you think, just back yourself and go. You know, knock it past the fullback and go. And he just kind of checks back. Is that just his style of play, or is does he does he not fancy himself in a foot race? I think he could do. I, I think he doesn't take on the fullback as much as he as much as he can do, um, because I don't think he wants to be there. I don't think he wants to be next to the corner flag on the right wing. He always wants to cut in. So um, I think that's part of the design of playing him there. But but again, I'll, I'll say this again. I don't think he's a winger. I really don't. I think that if you moved him inside, you could see something something very very different from him. But I don't think he's a winger. So I think it's against his natural in- instinct to be out there and I think he wants to be in the middle where he can cause havoc I think part of the problem of a turn of pace is I'm not sure Bertie knows what he's going to do next so I'm not sure he can change pace and that's the joy of him he's unorthodox he's unpredictable he is a wild card in the team for us and and I'm sure he's got more legs than he's showing but I kind of like his style of play. It's grown on me this year just because you watch him and you don't know what's going to happen next. And I think it's whether he plays centrally out wide, I'm still not sure his best position is. But I love the unpredictability he brings. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually think, and this is probably just in my own imagination, I have no problem admitting that, but I think he's kind of casting a fishing pole a bit sometimes when he's on a, f- a football pitch, meaning that he likes the fact that the opposing fullback or even the opposing central defensive mid doesn't know what he's going to do because he doesn't know what he's going to do. So I think the turn of pace really, I think he does have pace, but I think he almost kind of, kind of likes to make the opposition feel that he doesn't in certain situations. So then when he has to turn it on, cut you know into the middle of the field, because Craig's right, when have we seen that man close to the corner flag ever like he just doesn't like to be there if he can if he can help it he's trying to either cross that ball in if he does get dragged out that way or he's trying to cut it in himself and place it on his left foot and mostly go for goal but yeah I think that he's a little deceptive I think he likes to play a little bit of the mind games a little bit again that might be my own imagination but I mean that's that's the only one I got I'd, I'd like to pick up on a point you made quickly Dan about El Ghazi um, as a squad player and I'll throw this out to the to the to the wolves here has he not cemented his place as a starter now? Has he not done enough? 
is this residual Trezeguet kind of anger coming out from Ukraine? No, I, I get your point. I completely get your point. It's He's done enough and he is a starter. I'm still not sure he's consistent enough. I, I see too many games of him cutting inside, popping off a shot that doesn't work. And I think he's one of those guys who when he works, he works. But when he doesn't, it, I, I think we carry him at times. Look, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love for him to start for us on the left because I think he he's a real threat for us when he's on his day. I'm just not sure he's on his day consistent enough for me. Despite his output, he he's had some some purple patches this year, but he's also had some some real slumps too. Yeah, I mean, we'll 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 obviously wait and see on on Anwar, and a lot will depend on on who comes in. I suppose I, I certainly prefer Jack Grealish as as a number ten, so I think that space is open actually in the team. Um, Sort of the the wide left um, on the front three, um, so so we'll 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 see. But like we say, you can't argue with his numbers. You can't argue with his goal output, particularly considering he missed the first two months of the season and he was pretty much sent to Coventry, wasn't he? Um, so <laughs> you know he he was he, he's um he's he's certainly come back and he's he's proved a lot of people wrong, including me. And I'll say again, after that miss at Everton. Um, in the I think it was the third from last game of last season. He missed a gilt edge chance from under the bar, he put it over the bar, and I exclaimed at that point that I never wanted to see him play for Villa again. <laughs> I didn't put it on Twitter. I didn't at him. I didn't. You know, you, you don't need to do that. It doesn't help. <laughs> but I did say I did think it, and um, I probably said it to a few people and. Um, he's come back and he's completely proven me wrong, and he's gone again. He's he's a he's he's, and I think he's still got maybe a couple of years to still improve as well, and that's the big thing. He could get better even. So you know, it's- how ironic that he goes to the same ground, Goodison Park, just a year later, bangs one in the top corner, goes into the cupboard, pulls out a nice big steaming slice of humble pie gets his fork a little bit of whipped cream on there and just just gives you just gives you a nice little bite here Grandy have a little bit of this we've got to put some dramatic <laughs> music behind that Craig can we put some nice some horns or some nice like strings behind that that was beautiful Craig <laughs> I will I will hey. argue that the humble pie was slightly smaller than you expect given that it wasn't a relegation dog fight that we were in this season when he when he scored that winner but I yeah. I would be interested to know last Al Ghazi point I promise how many points and I don't know what the answer is maybe our smart fans can can at us on Twitter how many points has Al Ghazi's goals been directly responsible for I mean just off the top of my head there he's got the winner yeah, he's got the winner against Chelsea. He's got the winner at Everton. He's got the winner at Wolves. Um, he's got the winner at Leeds. I mean, that's twelve there already. I mean, I'm probably missing some. So Elgar's goals. final against Derby. Remember, he got the got the goal in there. I mean, I, he does seem to be a scorer of important goals, which is a nice knack to have. And and you know, similarly to Andy, I am eating humble pie about him. I think a few pods back, I said I'd get rid of him for Trezeguet. And uh, even injuries permitting, he's he's come on leaps and bounds. And I think we've said it before on here, but Dean Smith improves players, and El Ghazi is another guy who is evidence of that. All right, well, one more El Ghazi question. This is the last <laughs> one. So l- imagine this scenario. Imagine that he does play for. Holland and imagine he has a storming Euros 
And imagine that someone comes in with a mad bid for him because, you know, that can happen in the Euros. You know, they're looking at him, 10 league goals in the Premier League. He's just got three or four for Holland who have had a great show at the Euros. And someone comes in with 25, 30 million. What do you guys do? Sell him. Bite the hand off. I'm going on on Expedia and buying the plane ticket for him, wherever it is. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Anwar, don't listen to these people. I was just saying that I love him and I really do love him, but for 25 or 30 million for that kind of a winger with his inconsistency problems, and that's, again, me being a huge fan of him, you got to take that money. Because for 25, 30 million, you can compound that with what you got, bring somebody else in the door, or even, I don't know, it might be Louis Berry time coming off the left. You know, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's a that's a scenario that we'll we'll wait to see if it plays out over the next uh, couple of months, I suppose. Um, but Villa managed to to close the game out from there, and Chilwell did pull a goal back, as we've as we said. Um, and as again, we've we've commented how the, the fans, the crowd there, seemed to to carry the team over the line at the end, and uh, you know, as an, another sort of. Um, Good chance to see Chukwemeka and and Jake and Bramsey also came off the bench um, in this game. Some really good performances um, from several Villa players in 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 the last two games, but we have to talk about him, uh, Jack Grealish. The last two games he started, you can't ignore the impact that he's made, and he he just makes this team function, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely makes the team function. I mean, but he's he's going to bring an impact of sorts no matter where his fitness lies. I don't personally believe he's anywhere near 100% at the moment. But when you miss as many games as he did, that's pretty fairly normal. Um, but against Chelsea and Spurs, it's it's almost if his teammates knew they had to be on full alert and more cognitive of what's going on while he's on the pitch. And sometimes I'm not sure if that's a great thing. I mean, teammates only playing up when the captain's on the pitch. But I welcome it because there has to be a certain standard to play for a club like Aston Villa, especially these days, and even more so with fans back in attendance once the next season starts. So, I mean, he was definitely missed by us. There's no doubt about it for me. It's a joy to watch him. I mean, he's like he's like a headbanded maverick out there, man. He just does his thing. He's like this this incredibly special talent. You almost forget how good he is after such a lengthy injury spell. And and for now, I'm just joyful that he's he's an Aston Villa player. And, he's, and this is going into a very very important season. But yeah, it's like you forget how good he is, and even the little deft touches of the ball, or how he's able to carry the ball up the field. And then you start to be like, oh shit, yeah, we really did miss this a whole lot. Yeah, like picking up a couple of points from Mark there. One, I think he does set higher standards for the rest of the team, and you can see that on the pitch. He just demands more for them. And two, I love having a player with a headband in the team as as part of the long haired minority in, on this pod. It's uh, <laughs> it's good to have more long hair on the team. It's you and me, Craig. We're we're kind of bringing the, the long hair up. <laughs> but no, I love having him. I love the headband. It adds to him. It adds to the swagger. And I love him in the 10 roll as well. I always thought he was better coming off the left. But you stick him in that 10 roll for us and he drifts around the front line, kind of, you know, making things happen, joining things together. And, and I can see him being there for us next season if we hold on to him. Yeah, I think with, with Jack Grealish, it's, it's really as simple as a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, he makes everyone better just because he's such a supreme footballer and he makes the team better because um, and he because he creates space for the players as well. Anwar and Traore, Traore particularly, I think has benefited in the last couple of games from having Jack there because he's had more space to, to play with and um, he's having a lovely old time. I think that it is, and, and Dean Smith has intimated that this is the idea with the with the summer transfer window, but it is absolutely imperative for Aston Villa that we get someone 
as close to Jack's level as we can in that creative uh, front four. Um, I think Barkley was a good, you know, we saw how good that looked when we had someone, you know, when Barkley was firing on all cylinders uh, before he lost his way to have someone, you know, of, 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 of I don't think Barkley's as good as, 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 as Grealish at all, but, you know, he's a higher caliber of player than what we had previously. And now, obviously, lots of links to Ben Buendia are, are all around the place. Now, very sadly, as we know, we've lost we've lost our dear friend to PSG. I won't even name him. <laughs> so he signed a new time. contract, Every breaking my heart. <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't even get his name mentioned anymore. But, but there's also Buendia. Uh, 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 strong rumors linking Buendia. Coutinho, we've already spoken about, is 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 on the uh, is on the outs at Barca. Uh, Real are doing what they can to get rid of Hazard. I'm not saying that we're in for Hazard or anything like that, but we do need a number ten or a, someone to join Jack, who who means that the wheels don't fall off. As and and you you always talk about this in the in in, in the podcast and in the group chat, Andy. We can't have the wheels just fall off when Jack Grealish goes out. So we need another creative fulcrum, whether that's Buendia, whether it's Coutinho, whether it's um, Chukwemenka is probably too soon for him. But we need someone else to take on that mantle. And I wouldn't mind as a fan if we blew our budget on a real top number 10 player um, to, to help in that regard. Yeah, oh, sorry, it's me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think. <laughs> sorry, I went to sleep. No, um, think, I, I think, thinking about uh, thinking about Coutinho right, and Aston Villa. I think the the main issue, the thing we've learnt the most this season is that in the Premier League, you can't be a one man team, or not that we are a one man team, but we function so much better with with Jack Grealish in the side. Even just coming back to fitness, he makes such a difference to how we play particularly how we attack but it it also means that teams can't press us back you know we we they, they can't risk um leaving leaving it open at the back and uh we saw that against spurs it frightened them to death and and obviously i think he had a slightly less influential game against chelsea but they have to they have to guard against him and great when he's in the side fantastic and and you can get by but when he's not there then Everything falls flat because we don't have, you know, we don't have the the the, the players with the necessary ability, and we really need, like I say, to to address that in 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 some way. Whether that's, you know, also figuring out a plan B for when Jack Grealish isn't there, or whether it's you know it ha- it is surrounding him with more quality. We do need more quality. We're not going to move up the league. You know, it's a very competitive league now. Um, you'd imagine. Certain teams that have been off the boil this season will will go again, and I'm thinking of Spurs, Arsenal, teams like that. Teams like Leeds and West Ham could well continue to improve. It's going to have to be it's going to be an almighty effort really to 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 get towards the the top end of that league again next season. So we do need more quality. We need more goals. We need more. We creative. need to fight the bear, don't we, we Andy? We need to continue to, to continue to fight the bear. That's what he. Um, that's what he was daydreaming of. He was daydreaming about Philippe <laughs> Coutinho in an Aston Villa shirt, fighting the bear every week. I love it. I was thinking how I was going to shoehorn that analogy in, <laughs> but yeah, we do, we do, we do need to to do that because as soon as you take your eye off the ball and you stop, you're you're in the, you're in a relegation battle in this league, and 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 you know that that's that's just a fact. We you know and and it can happen. 
um, very very quickly. So we need we need to do that, and we need to, the 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 biggest thing is we need to obviously keep hold of Jack Grealish. So we need to switch the phones off um, and make it clear to Jack's agent that he can go on Talk Sport and all these other um, all these other media channels uh, as much as he likes. Um, there won't be an offer accepted for Jack Grealish this summer, and uh, we need to build around him and uh, and behind him. So, um, yeah, but what a player! What a player! And I, I really hope he lights up the uh, the Euros this summer, and he'll he'll find his way into the team in a similar way to what David Platt did in nineteen ninety. He'll come in late and 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 be the star. I'm I'm just convinced of it. I'm just convinced of it. So. Um, there we go. I mean, you know, great way to finish the season. Um, you know, to take a total of, of fifty-five points, which is which is twenty points um, improved on last season. Um, we do plan to do a like a full season review podcast, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, but you know, just to just to sum up the season in a nutshell, guys. You know, how how have you found it? Uh, the best way I can look at it is compare and contrast it to last season on the final day of last season I was a wreck I was an absolute wreck just watching what was happening this season was easy sailing we're beating a top four side uh, in an impressive performance too and I think for me there's there's ticks across the board this year I think Dino's done a phenomenal job we've got more points we're in a better position our transfers have been superb we've got young players coming through we're playing an exciting brand of football that looks like it's got a real identity to it it's it's been the most enjoyable season I've had as a Villa fan in a long, long time. And that's without fans being in the ground. And it just gives me so much hope for, for where the future takes us. And all I can do is applaud the board and Dean and the players for, for what's been a great year. Sure, it tailed off when, when Jack got injured and we could have potentially gone even higher. But all in all, it, it's been a wild ride and I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, I agree with that, Dan. I think we had we've had so so many stinky years for the last decade that um, you know if, if you're if you're if you've got a, a young a young kid who's um, you know kind of ten, twelve, thirteen years old, you know Aston Villa to them is a club that is absolutely pointless, and um, they're a Championship club or they're a club that were circling the drain in the Premier League for years under the likes of McLeish and. Lambert and um, you know we had some really dark days before we actually did drop into the championship where we stayed under Bruce for years and, 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 and it was it was quite horrible so the idea that we are now an established Premier League club we're not thinking about relegation next season we're looking upwards and as Dan said the 20 point improvement is absolutely incredible um, just for context if we were to improve by 20 points next season that would put us in second place that is what getting an extra 20 points means in this league. Even if we get an extra 10 points, which is much more reasonable, that would put us in the top six of this season's table or a joint with West Ham anyway on 65 points. So we're not a million miles away, but as, as lots of fans understand and lots of fans don't understand, these next steps are much harder than the other steps because this is where it starts to get really competitive and you're not fighting the bear in in, in the top 10 you're fighting a, a horde of bears or whatever the plural is of bears i don't know um you have a bunch of bears a gaggle 
a gaggle of bears, whatever it is, you know, it, this is where it starts to get really tickly and really serious. I mean, look how much money Everton have spent. Everton are only one place in the league above us. Um, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham are going to come again. West Ham are flying. Leicester, you'd imagine, are going to reinvest. Uh, Chelsea, Liverpool, they're going to be disappointed with their seasons. They're going to reinvest heavily. Man City and Man United, you know, they're going to invest. So just to, just to stay in 11th place, we're going to have to invest heavily just to stand still. But this season, we are going to do a full review uh, where we go into granular detail, but it can't be anything but a thumbs up from me and uh, well done to uh, the, the owners, well done to Perslow, well done to Smith and well done to the players and um, long may it continue. Yeah, I echo those sentiments, you know, with, with everything I got. And Craig brings up a very interesting point that, you know, for a long time, Aston Villa hasn't been a very, I guess, modern team. I guess that's putting it a little nicely. But honestly, if I had a dollar for every person that I told, like, oh, I support Aston Villa, and they look at me with a stone-cold Medusa <laughs> face and say, what the hell's wrong with you? Why do you support them? Um, I'd be able to take all of us on vacation. So, um, you know, so Villa hasn't been great for a long time. So this, for me, is a massive thing. Um, th- Villa were good whenever I first started following and supporting the club that was when we had the consecutive six place finishes um you know and that was very teasing because I, I really wanted to see Villa be as good as they could be we all know how the story goes after that but as far as this season I did put my neck on the line at the beginning on the podcast and said that anything higher than 17th was progress and progress is exactly what Villa need for for this point of what what they're doing um I'm happy with the points total I'm happy with the finishing position I'm happy with some of the form some of the form that the team found but again the squad needs to quickly dust itself down I mean head to your international teams if that's what you're involved in and come back with a positive mindset 17th was worrying I was very worried when we spent all that money and only ended up in 17th but now 11 11th is a very very you know definitive positive progress um, I'm looking for Villa to finish even higher than that next season because it's year-on-year progress it'll keep the rational supporters happy and most importantly it'll solidify that argument that Aston Villa are back to being a place where footballers want to do their thing that's a very very important thing in the modern day so again you know at, you know thanks to the the owners and, and the team and you know the coaching staff and even the supporters that stuck by them as, as we, we took that little bit of a dive after December into January but honestly it's a very very exciting time for Aston Villa Football Club but like like Craig said, you know, you're coming into a gaggle of bears here. This isn't going to be something that's going to be a, a fun and automatically just instant thing. This is going to be a lot of hard work. The recruitment's got their work cut out for them. The players have their, their work cut out for them. So just be patient. You know, if, if we end up finishing ninth next season, that's still progress. Uh, I'm not sure if it's enough progress to keep Jack Grealish here, but we'll talk about that on the, on the season recap. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, it has been a it has been an excellent season. Um, it's just that that spell that that little kind of hibernation period when we we lost Jack and 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 we couldn't we couldn't really keep him, uh, keep things going. But having said that, we we did continue to pick up a few points. The defense is this is probably the best defense I've 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 seen at Villa. Um, I think they're 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 tremendous, and we've had some very good very good defensive um, units since I've started following Villa and I think this this is this is probably the best back four we've had and um it's certainly in a long time um and I can only see it getting better with with such young players in there and and Tyrone Mings leading the way um so yeah d- d- delighted and like I say we will we will come back and um and talk more about the season once we've kind of taken a beat and and um ab- absorbed it all and digested it and um, we'll come back and regurgitate it <laughs> 
<laughs> all over, all over here next week. So, uh, but um, <laughs> don't know if that's yeah. <laughs> Tune in next week for under a gaslit lamp regurgitation special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you do that? Can you record that for us, Craig? So we can, uh, we can put that yes. On the start. <laughs> Oh, oh, by the way, before we move on, I've just done a quick Google search for any any bear lovers out there. Um, a group of bears is a sleuth or a sloth, unless they're polar bears, in which case they're called a celebration of polar bears. So, um, yeah, I know that that you were you were all hanging on 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 for that information. So now you have it. You can rest Welcome easy. Welcome to the Educational Lamp Podcast, brought to you by Thanks for that, Craig. Um, that's uh, that's either added listeners or, or severely cut the, the numbers, but but no, it's it was worth knowing. It was worth knowing. Um, let's move on to uh, to the under 18s and you know, again, we have to make mention of them. Um, they actually went out and they won the FA Youth Cup um, at Villa Park with an impressive two-one victory over Liverpool. Actual silverware back at Villa Park in front of almost four and a half thousand fans. Um, it seemed like an, an absolute great occasion for those lads and and for the the, the, the fans that that managed to go and watch. Um, guys were cl- were clearly blessed with a lot of talent in these age group teams. Um, you know how exciting is this win for the club, and what is next for the? We I mean we talked about Chukwemenka and 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 Philange Bidace, um before, but what's next for the the rest of these young players? Do you think next season? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, it can't be understated in any way. I mean, if your academy's playing well, your future has a lot better shot of being bright. Uh, massive congratulations to the youngsters and the coaching staff that lifted the FA Youth Cup. They'll all remember that for the rest of their lives. It's not even me just blowing it up the more than what it is. It really is a monumental occasion for these guys. Uh, not only have they etched their names in the history books at Villa, but I, I, it could be a moment where they tasted that little bit of glory. And it's going to push them on even further in their development and their careers. You want to win things in football, and Villa haven't been a shining catalyst to that in recent history. So, I mean, there, there's going to come a time where the Villa owners don't feel the need to spend large sums of money. So to have players like Barry and Chukwemeka and Brad Young and Kessler and Reiki and, I mean, hell, I can go on and on and on. But to have players with this kind of talent is a massive positive. And I hope, and it's a pretty big hope, that a handful or more of them will be able to continue to develop and get their chance to feature for the senior team in the future. I mean, they're that talented, and I really do believe that. But we can't forget that Mile Edenax, the loan manager for Villa now, so you know, hopefully the big beard will likely be on the phone to try and get some of these youngsters major playing time in men's football is maybe even as soon as this summer. Maybe some of them will still stick around and play in the U setup for a little while. But I mean, for me, massive congratulations! Exciting times for sure from the academy all the way up to the senior team, all the way you know to the women's team as well. So man, just what an achievement! Yeah, in, incredible achievement. The fourth F- FA Youth Cup for Aston Villa. And this is a real opportunity now for us to have our own class of 92. The Villa class of 21 could literally see us revol- revolutionise the first team in, in, in two or three years' time, depending on how these players mature. Yes, it's not guaranteed. Yes, there are lots of variables. How are the players going to cope? How are they going to grow physically? How are they going to grow emotionally? How are they going to cope with the money that's going to come their way, the attention that's going to come their way? Lots of variables when developing young players, and there are no guarantees. But what 
winning this trophy means is that we're set up well for the future. And it also means that we are going to be more attractive to other youngsters. So when we're going out now into the likes of Exeter, we've just done some business uh, with uh, Bristol Rovers and other um, uh, teams around the country. And we try and attract the best youngsters to Aston Villa. There's a trophy. This team has pedigree. We can attract youngsters. And this is another thing about Villa being irrelevant for the last 10 years on a national or international level. Before that, we were producing England players from our academy, you know, Lee Hendry, Barry. Yes, I know Barry was uh, developed at Brighton, but he came through the youth system here too. Agbon Lahore, uh, Vassal, Grealish now. Villa have supplied youth team products to the England team. And, and, and if we can reestablish that pathway, not only does it help us in the short term, but it really helps us in the long term. And it makes Aston Villa relevant again, which is really what we all want. We want to be included in these conversations about the biggest clubs in the country because we are. But we need to act like it and we are finally acting like it. Yeah, well done to those lads who've who've achieved more in 17, 18 years on this planet than I have in, in 40. It's it's a wonderful thing to watch them win and watch them win in some style. But, you know, I'm a card-carrying misanthrope, so I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't bring the glass-half-empty angle to this. And, and whilst I think we're destined for big things, I, I'm going to take you back to 2013 and the next-gen trophy against Chelsea when, when we won. And... Uh, sure, sure. Jack Grealish <laughs> has gone. Jack Grealish has gone on to things, but Sammy Carothers, Lewis Kinsella, Josh Webb. There's a lot of names there that haven't haven't kicked on. I think this class is different, but the the crucial thing is the hard work starts now. Winning the FA Youth Cup is not the end of their journey; it's the start. And I think for both those young men and for the rest of the club who've got to have their careers' best interests at hearts and give them the chance they can to develop. The real proof of this pudding is going to be in three, four, five years' time when we see how many of them have come through. Yeah, I think it's, it's it is an exciting time, and and when you when we have these kind of victories, I remember watching them um, win the, uh, the the youth cup. I think um, I think when Gareth Barry was in the team, I remember going to that, and I think we had J Lloyd Samuel, and there was a few a few that made good careers for themselves, and. Um, that's the that's the thing now, but I think it is now about getting these players, the majority of them, out on loan, um, at various levels. Um, not Carney, I'll, I want to keep him here, <laughs> um, but the others certainly I think are, are worth are worth going out on loan, and and hopefully they'll get games. And if they don't get games, the managers will have to explain to Mila Yedinak um, why they're not why they're not getting games, and uh, that feels good, you know. I think. Um, I think it's you know it'd be good is you know it's a, it feels like we've got a proper setup now for these guys. We're not just sending them out to all over the country to the, the far ends of the country and not and and they're just sitting there in in the in the um in the stands watching. So um yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a good setup now and these players will be looked after and and hopefully they'll be able to realize their potential. Um but but um that's it, really. Until next week, like I say, we we'll, we'll, we will be back next week um, with a hopefully a a season review, um, taking in all sorts of uh, all sorts of a- angles on the season and and and, and digesting and and, um, and and going through it and discussing it all. Um, and uh, thanks, guys, for 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 joining me tonight. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. 
Um, and I want to thank particularly um, Regan and Mark as well um, on a personal level this season for inviting me onto the podcast um, way back in uh, last September. Um, it's been an absolute joy um, to be on it. I never imagined that I'd be um, hosting, as you can probably tell, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I really enjoy doing it and I really hope that um, whoever's listening is 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 enjoying the content that we're that we're we're putting out and and so I mean thanks to Regan and Mark for 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 that and thanks to Dan and Craig as well for for joining me over the last um, few months, hasn't it? Really, it's been since about January February time that that they came on board and. It's been a real pleasure, and I've, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's it's been a real highlight of my weeks, um, whilst I was poorly and whilst I was um, in lockdown, whilst we were in lockdown as well. So so thanks to everyone for for that. Um, but other than that, if you if you really like the content, we'll be carrying on over the summer with a bit of Euros content and and hopefully some signings, and then building up to the the start of the new season. So please um, stay with us and. If you if you like the content, give us a like on uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram as as usual, and head over to the the website at underagaslitlamp.com for all the all the written content as well from the guys. Um, thanks for listening again. Thanks to everyone for uh, for for joining me on this and up the villa. <laughs>